Thanks for leading us in that way, Rebecca. Well, if you have your Bible, please do open with me to Colossians chapter 3. In the summer Sunday mornings, we've been working through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, a group of relatively new Christians who were gathering together in a small city named Colossae, which is in modern-day western Turkey. And we've already established that the Apostle Paul writes to this little church plant and these new believers to encourage them to one single thing. He writes with one primary purpose to encourage them to press on to maturity as Christians. He wants to encourage young Christians to grow and mature in their faith. But of course, this is not just something for young Christians. This is something for all Christians. Every true Christian wants to grow and mature in their walk with God. We want to know God more. And so a letter like this is so helpful for us. Knowing that this letter is in our Bible to help Christians grow and mature is a real encouragement, not just for them then, but for us now. God has seen to it that this letter has been inscripturated, included in the Bible. And at the end of Colossians, we actually read the Apostle Paul saying, I want this letter to be read, not just to those in Colossae, but to those in Laodicea, to other churches. And so here we are this morning, sitting again under the Word of God with something that is so relevant for us here to help us grow and mature in our Christian lives. Simon, our assistant, has done a great job over the last few weeks while I was away, helping us to see more directly the theological first half of the letter where Paul teaches the Colossians about what actually happened to them when they became Christians. They received a whole new identity, their old sinful self was cut off, crucified with Christ, and a whole new self was born, created by God. Having established this in the first couple of chapters, now in chapter 3 of the letter to the end, the Apostle Paul turns from the directly theological, and now he proceeds to give real practical instruction, not that practical instruction is not the is not theological, but his focus now is to give practical instruction on how we as Christians live out of our new identity as people in Christ. This section from chapter 3 running right to the end of the letter is all about how we walk in Christ. It's about what the Christian life looks like practically. Tomorrow morning as you wake up and go to work or have breakfast with your friends or family or whoever it is. Last week, we saw so helpfully that the Christian life starts with training our minds to think on spiritual realities. In those first four verses of chapter 3, we saw again that it is what governs our minds that gives such control to the direction of our lives. What governs your mind exerts a great influence on the direction of your life. 
Paul, knowing this, says to the Christians in chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, the Christian life starts with getting hold of your mind, training your mind to think on the wonderful spiritual realities that are yours in Christ. When you're being bombarded every week with just earthly realities, you need to train your mind to lift your mind. You need to train your thoughts to lift them above to things above, not just things on earth. After that introduction to the Christian life, now in verses 5 to 17 of chapter 3, Paul sharpens his focus somewhat, and he presents what we could call essentially the heart of Christian living. And we could summarize what he's calling the Colossians to by simply saying this, He is calling them to the pursuit of holiness. If you're here and you're a Christian, the Apostle Paul is saying to you, but more importantly, God is saying to you through his inspired word, here is what you want to be working on if you want to live a faithful Christian life. Here is what you want to make the all-encompassing aim of your life. Seek to grow in godliness. What does that mean? That means seek to have your character so transformed that you begin to think and speak and act like Jesus. Make that the all-encompassing goal of your day-in, day-out Christian life, to grow in holiness, godliness. That means Christ-likeness. And Paul, as we're going to see, shows us in this section that this pursuit of holiness involves two main actions. First, it involves an active fight against what we could call indwelling sin. And second, this pursuit of holiness involves an active effort towards growth in Christ-like character. So you might say, but that's kind of the same. It's not just the same. We're thinking of a positive aspect of Christian growth and a negative aspect of Christian growth. The positive is the grow in grace, put on love, try to mature. The negative side, it's not negatives and it's a bad thing, it's just the negative is fight against sin. Try to put to death all that's earthly in you. And these two aspects of Christian growth are absolutely essential. In fact, as Christians, I believe we've developed a bit of an imbalance here in our thinking about Christian growth to maturity. We have actively emphasized the active effort to grow, so the positive side of sanctification, read your Bible, pray so that you can grow, We've emphasized that. Try to grow in love, grow in patience, bear the fruit of the Spirit. We've emphasized that, and that's good. But I think we have largely forgotten that the other half of Christian growth to maturity is an active, intentional fight against sin. Any good gardener knows that to have a fruitful garden, you've got to both feed your garden And what else have you got to do? You've got to weed your garden. And if you want to have a fruitful garden spiritually in your soul, 
You've got to both feed your soul, but you've also got to fight and weed out sin in your life. And this never stops. So this is applicable to the youngest Christian and the oldest Christian and everyone in between here today. So this week in the passage we're in, we're going to look at the weeding side of sanctification. This call to be actively engaged in a fight against sin. That's what verses 5 to 11 of chapter 3 are all about. Next week, we're going to look at the feeding, the active work of growing in Christ-like character. That's what you see down then in verses 12 to 17. And the main point of verses 5 to 11 that we're focusing on this week is summarized in the slide that I've just put up for you. If you want to ask, what's this passage about? Here's what it is about. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So if you're asked this week, what was the pastor talking about? There's your answer. He was telling us that we have to be killing sin or sin will be killing us. Now that phrase is not original to me. It's from a very helpful book called The Mortification of Sin by an old English pastor and theologian, John Owen. And here's how we're going to progress this morning as we think about this one phrase. We're going to ask, first of all, what do we mean by be killing sin? Second, we're going to ask, why must we take this killing of sin seriously? And third, we're going to ask, how can we become more intentional about doing this? So hopefully you'll find those headings helpful as we look at this passage together. So first, let's look at our text and think together, what does the Apostle Paul mean when he uses this language, be killing sin? And I get that language from verse 5, where the Apostle Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. Now, to grasp what Paul's getting at and what he's calling them and us to, we need to be reminded again of what Paul has been saying in the first half of this letter. We need to be reminded of what actually happens when we become Christians. Before we trusted in Christ for salvation, we lived our lives in the kingdom of Satan, sin, and self-centeredness. Descending from Adam and Eve, we inherited their fallenness and guilt. We followed the ways of the world. We rebelled against God. We were slaves of sin and death. We were in Adam, in this polluted, sinful family line by nature. But when God, by his grace, saved us through union with Jesus Christ, we died to this realm of sin. We were taken out of it and were set free from it. And instead of now living as people in Adam and in that realm, we're taken out of Adam and we're put into Christ. And now we live in this new sphere or realm of reality. We're set free from sin and as Paul said in Colossians 1.13, we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. So, 
When you become a Christian, you're taken out of the realm of slavery, sin, and death, the in-Adam world, and you're put into the in-Christ world. No longer a slave to sin and in, in, in chains and worried about hell. But if that's true, we have to ask the question, why is it that in this realm we still struggle with sin? Because I'm sure not one of you would say, now that I'm in that realm, I don't have any sin. In one way, in Christ, yes, we're righteous. Our sin's not counted against us. But our day-to-day lives, we continue to struggle. We all think things, say things, do things, or leave things undone. And we know we struggle with it. Why is that the case? Well, even though sin's reign is broken in our lives, we carry with us into this new realm, sadly, our old sinful nature, our old habits. And this old nature, these old habits can still exert a real power and influence in our lives that sadly make us drift back towards living according to our old self-centered ways. Jerry Bridges, an author who I really have found so much help from in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, uses a really helpful illustration to help us grasp why we still struggle with sin. He says, imagine a particular nation. It's easy to think about this because of what we see in the news today in places like Afghanistan or Iraq. Imagine a particular nation where there are two competing factions and they're fighting for control of the country. Eventually, with the help of an outside army, one faction actually wins the war and assumes control of the nation's government. But even though that's the case, the losing faction, they don't stop fighting. They change their tactics to a kind of guerrilla warfare, and they continue to fight to such an extent that the outside country that was supplying the help can never withdraw its troops. Well, so it is with the Christian. Satan has been defeated. The reign of sin in our lives, its dominance over us, has been overthrown. But our old sinful nature continues to exert an influence on us. Our old habits, like guerrilla warfare, they rear their head and and, and drop sin bombs into our lives at different times. We're so used to sinning in our natural man and natural woman that It takes time to train ourselves to live in the new realm, to be godly, to make sure the new in Christ self exerts the dominant influence in our thoughts, attitudes, and behavior. So when Paul says to the Colossians and to us, put to death Whatever is earthly in you, he's saying, identify all of those areas where you still struggle with sin, where the old self still exerts an influence in your life, and you put that old self to death. Destroy the strength and vitality of your old self. Starve it. Be ruthless with it. Have no mercy on it. Take a gun to your greed and shoot it through the head. 
Take a sword to your selfishness and run it through. Poison your pride. Kill sin. Do not give your old self the occasion to exert an influence in your life. Put it to death, says Paul. Work to see the new self exert its dominance over every area of your life. At this point, you might say, well, can you give me some examples of the sins that I need to be actively fighting against? And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does in the form of two lists that he gives. Look at verse 5, the examples of the ways the old nature can exert influence in our inner world of desires, things that go on internally in our lives, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, passions there in its context means evil passions that are out of control, not just any passion. Paul gives another list then in verse 8, where he focuses on the ways our old nature can show up in our relationships. He says, put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk, and lying. I wonder, are these issues that you struggle with? Your thought life. Just think of that covetousness. Anger, inappropriate language, lying in all the subtle forms it takes, including flattery and manipulation. Paul's saying in this section, look, if you want to press on to maturity as a Christian, You must take seriously an active effort to weaken the old sinful self and to see that it stays on the cross with Christ where it belongs. Now, we're going to get to how we do that in a moment, but just to summarize this first main point, we're asking the question, what does it mean to be killing sin? Here's the answer. It means actively working to destroy the life, strength, and vitality of the old self. And I want to really encourage you to take this aspect of Christian growth into your Christian life and into your prayer life this week. Say things like this, Lord, take my old sinful self today and crucify it afresh with Christ. Let the cross do its rough work on my old nature. Let me live today out of my new self, my new in Christ self. Let me reflect Christ, not Adam, in all my natural sinfulness. Let me reflect Christ today. So that is the call, the imperative call of this passage, be killing sin. The second question I want to ask, though, is why must, we, why must we take this side of sanctification very seriously? And there are three reasons that I see in this passage and elsewhere in Scripture. Why must we be taking the killing of sin seriously? Well, first, because our sins displease God. Look at verse 6. The Apostle Paul, after giving a list of sins, says, on account of these, 
The wrath of God is coming. God is coming to judge all sin. In fact, He is already working out the judgment of sin in many ways in the world today, but there will be a final end when Christ returns and all sin will be shown as being utterly sinful. In Christ, the judgment against our sins is satisfied and taken away, but we should never use that as an excuse to get sloppy in our pursuit of holiness. Verse 6, remember, is a warning to believers. It is a warning that is a means of God working through a warning like this to urge us and to encourage us to take our fight against sin seriously. Our sin deserves the wrath of God. Let's not heap up more sins for Christ to bear for us. The wrath of God comes upon every sin. Let's see that our sin displeases God, and so let's, let's take really seriously this fight against the sins we still struggle with. Why must we take killing sin seriously? Because our sins displease God. But the second reason is this, because sin is active always and is trying to influence us constantly. Owen has said elsewhere in the mortification of sin, when sin leaves us alone, we may leave sin alone. But his point is sin and our old nature and Satan and all the temptations never leave us alone. So we must never leave them alone. If we're not killing sin, sin will be working to kill us. Our sin darkens our souls. It deadens us to the wonderful presence of God. Sin always tends to its most extreme expression, left unchecked. That's why when you hear of the stories of these guys who are caught with images on their computers, there's often hundreds of thousands, and they go from bad to worse. Sin gets a foothold, and it always, left unchecked, will tend to its most extreme expression. It's always active, always trying to erode our commitment to God. Think of a bath with big concrete blocks in it. And those blocks are sin. Those sin blocks displace the presence of God, our enjoyment of the Spirit. Take out the sin, and what can you do? You can put in more water. And this is another reason why Paul's saying, kill your sin. Don't make friends with your sinful nature. Your, your sinful nature, your old self, sin, Satan, the kingdom, the, whatever is earthly in you, that's the language Paul uses, it is your enemy. Don't cuddle up to it. Don't see how close you can get to it without being burnt. Crush it ruthlessly. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We kill it constantly. For these two reasons, our sins displease God, because sin is active and trying to influence us constantly. But then thirdly, we work to kill sin because this is a work that God does. 
and that God takes very seriously in our lives for our good. In John 15, verses 1 and 2, Jesus taught and said these words, I'm the true vine, and my Father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. Our sin hinders our fruitfulness. The Father, our God, takes seriously cutting off and putting to death the sinful parts of our lives that hinder our spiritual growth and fruitfulness. In Colossians 3.9, Paul says, we've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Being renewed by who? Who's doing the work of renewal? The vine dresser, the Father, through the Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice what verse 9 says we're being renewed in knowledge. That's chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. The new mind should govern the direction of our lives. That's why in verse 5, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Let your whole life follow your new mind, which is being renewed after the image of its creator. We have to remember, though, don't we, that God doesn't just drop sanctification out of the sky. The Father is working to renew us, to sanctify us by the Holy Spirit. But He uses our efforts as as the means by which He renews us. You ever thought about this? In the book of Joshua, Joshua was told, everywhere you put your feet, I'm going to give it to you. But he still had to fight for every inch of the land. And so we're promised that we're going to be sanctified, we're going to grow, but yet we've got to be involved. We have a responsibility for our Christian growth, though we can never do it apart from the help and aid of the Holy Spirit. God is committed to pruning and cutting off and putting to death sin in our lives, our old self. Are you committed to it? That is one of the ways you will be like God. In Hebrews 12, we read of God's commitment to our holiness. It means at times He has to prune us through discipline like any good father does. But we're told that He does this for our good, that we may share in His holiness. Now, for these three reasons, and we could add many others, but for these three reasons, we must take seriously this call to kill sin. And let me just ask again before we get really practical. Have you forgotten this side of Christian growth? Have you totally forgotten about this aspect of sanctification? Might it be that you're too content with the remaining sin and the sinful attitudes that still dwell within you? Might it be that for a long time you've just sat and thought, well, I guess this is as sanctified as I'll get. And for a long time, you haven't taken seriously what it means to go after those struggles that are still part of your life. Well, let me say loud and clear this morning, get hold of that sin and root it out 
Get rid of it. Fight it. Don't stop. It will actively be trying to kill you. Why are you doing nothing? Kill sin. Put to death whatever is earthly in you. So, that's the what it means to put sin to death. That's why we must do it. Thirdly and finally, let's get really practical and ask, how do we do this work of killing sin? And I want to just give you three practical actions that you can take out into this week. If you're sitting here going, man, I haven't been doing this. How do, where do I even start? Here is where you start. First, seek the help and power of the Holy Spirit. He is your friend, partner, helper in sanctification and in the fight against sin. If we go out of here, we pull our socks up and go, right, I'm going to try harder. You'll hardly get a minute. What you need to do is go out of here. Hear Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So clear. How do you put sin to death? By the Spirit. So what will that look like this week? Prayerfully saying, Father, I want to be holy like you are holy. I am so weak. Please strengthen me by the Holy Spirit that I might be able to fight against my sin. So first, we seek the help and power of the Holy Spirit. Second, make it your work every day to starve your old sinful self and to feed your new self. Now here I want to give you an illustration that I have found so helpful in my own life. Imagine your Christian life now has within it two plants, right? That's, that's right, two plants. You've got the plant that has a big sign on it that says, the old self. And then you've got another plant that says, the new self. And standing in front of you, you're thinking of this in your Christian life, are these two plants. The one you feed the most will exert most influence in your life. What feeds the old plant? Well, whatever is earthly. So this can be loads of things. We're being bombarded every week. So just say TV. Now, I'm not against all TV and Neither should you be necessarily. But when you are being bombarded and just watching too much junk, it gets control of your mind. And your mind starts to be more influenced by worldly ways of thinking. And those worldly ways of thinking, it's like tomato feed for your old self. And it starts to make it stronger. And it starts to exert more of an influence in your life or using your screen time just on your phone in an unwise manner. I read an article, or the title of an article, I haven't read the article in full yet, but a title of an article I saw this week that really captivated me. It was called Scrolling Alone. How Instagram is making a generation of girls lonely, anxious, and sad. 
So some people just sit there and just scroll and scroll and scroll, and they're struggling with comparing themselves to everyone else whose life looks perfect, or they're proud because they're not like that person. I would never post that on social media. You know, we go through it, we go through it, we go through it, and it can, it can just be like feeding the old self to think in ways that are not pleasing to the Lord. It can be many other things. Bad company can corrupt good character. It can be unhelpful friendships or relationships. It can be looking at um, sexually immoral uh, material on the internet. This is a massive problem for so many guys and increasingly girls. We've got to fight it. Instead of feeding the old self, we've got to starve that plant and see it wilt and grow weak and die. And we need to turn our attention to the new plant, the new self. And we need to feed it with the word of God and with prayer and with fellowship with other Christians that stirs us on. Every time you're reading your Bible, it's just pouring the tomato feed and, and the water into the new self. And you're, every time you pray, it's just sowing to the new plant. And every time you're at church and you're hearing the word, it's just growing your new man, your new woman, making that new person exert more of an influence in your life. Remember, the battle is for control of the mind. So if you want to take seriously this work of killing sin, make it your work to starve the old plant and to feed the new plant. And then thirdly and finally, if you want to take seriously killing sin, you've got to get specific. In any fight, say boxing, which I love, a fighter will study his or her opponent. Here's what I want to encourage you to do as a response to this message this week. When you get some time, take a piece of paper and a pen and write down a list of your top five besetting sins. Think about this. What are the... You can make it 10 if you want. But say five. What are the five main sins that I continue to struggle with? And it, it could be many, many things. Fear of man, self-centeredness, sexual immorality, just a constant negativity and critical spirit. It could be pride, anger. Just write them down and take seriously the effort to pray about those things. Even see if you can think of some scriptures to write alongside those sins. Because remember, it is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the Spirit takes the Word and uses that sword to slay the old man, the old woman. So for example, if you were to write one of my big sins is fear of man, I just... I'm so worried about what people think of me all the time, and it exerts an unhelpful influence in my life. It might be helpful for you to learn the proverb, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And you just pray about it. And you say, Lord, the fear of man, it's like a snare. Please help me not to put my foot in that trap again this week. Or say, you're, say you write self-centeredness. You might want to memorize a passage from, or write down a passage from Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let the sword be applied to the old self. Or maybe it is sexual immorality and you're addicted 
to porn on the internet or something like that. Write that down. Talk to someone about it. Write 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5 beside it. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And you say, Lord, I don't want to be like someone who doesn't know God. Take the sword of the Spirit and run through this struggle that I have. Or if your struggle is contentment, Philippians 4, 11 to 13, I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That is one way that you can take seriously the intentional fight against indwelling sin. Have you ever done that? I would really encourage you to take some time. Say some of you might be going on holiday even over the next week or two. Take some time to think about it, to write it down, and then perhaps to talk to someone you trust about it. Now be very careful. Lindsay and I have done this this week. Because if you invite your wife, for example, to say, could you look at this list and could you actually add to it? It's very easy for the old man to rear up when you get defensive. But if together you can start saying, let's work to take this fight against sin seriously, you might actually be able to enlist someone who can really help you. It can be helpful to write it down yourself, but secret sin has great power. And so sometimes it can be good to confess that sin to the Lord and then find a trusted friend or pastor or mentor that you can say, look, could I just show this list to you? Could you join with me in praying about this? Let's get real here, great Vic. We're not playing games. Sin will be killing you if you're not actively killing it. We must never sit comfortable with the sin in the camp. If we know there's active sin in the camp, We've got to do all we can to root it out because that's what God does. But finally, as we engage in this fight, let's remember there can be ups and downs in the fight. At times we can feel defeated and feel awful, but we must always come back to where this passage brings us back to right at the end. Though at times we feel defeated and guilty because of our sin, we are, remember, fighting a war, a battle that has already been decisively won by Christ. Because where we struggle with sin, Christ overcame it all on our behalf. And so we're fighting with a vanquished foe ultimately. Remember, the governance of our lives has been secured by our mighty Christ. All Satan and our indwelling sin can do is do guerrilla warfare and try to get at us. But ultimately, we're secure. This is where Paul finishes in verse 11. Here, that means in this realm of the new self, there's no division. There's not Greek or Jew, circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. There's not all those earthly divisions. Christ is all. Christ is in all. Remember, as you fight in this new realm against sin, you will and you should expect to continually struggle. You will not reach a rival where you're like, yep, there's the last sin and I'm done now. You won't this side of eternity. In Christ, we're righteous. He has secured our righteousness 
So we never try to fight against sin as if it's legalistic, as in we have to do this to attain unto salvation. No. We know the battle is decisively won, and now our calling is to steadily live more like the people we actually are in Christ. Always remembering when we're struggling, in the end, Christ is all and in all. He's in me. He's my life. He's my righteousness. I've been reading through the letters of John Newton this summer, just added it to my devotions. It's very helpful, just one letter a day when I can. And uh, Patty very helpfully passed me the book just before I went off on holiday, and really thankful for that. As I was reading this week uh, one of Newton's letters, there was a line that just helped me so, so much. And with this, I'll close. In a letter to a lady called Mrs. Wilberforce in September 1764, John Newton writes, It becometh the Lord's people to be thankful and to acknowledge his goodness in what we have received. We should not let the grief arising from what we know and feel of our own hearts to rob us of the honor, comfort, and joy which the word designs for us. Though the believer is nothing in himself, Yet having all in Jesus, we may rejoice in his name all the day. That's the line that got me. We feel so often that we're nothing in ourselves. Yet we have all in Jesus. And you can be writing that list of sins and go, I struggle so much. And yet my all in all is Jesus. He's my righteousness. He's my life. And you feel again the relief. And then you rejoice in his name all the day as you continue to fight that sin. Newton continues, Further, we're assured of the victory beforehand, and oh, what a crown is prepared for every conqueror, which Jesus, the righteous judge, shall place upon every faithful head with his own hand. So as we fight this week to put sin to death, we know that ultimately the victory doesn't depend on us. This is why we love the gospel. The hope that in Jesus, all our sins are forgiven and we are made righteous. And then we give ourselves to becoming more closely alike what we actually are. He's the one who has put our sins away ultimately and triumphed over sin, Satan, hell, and death by the cross. What a hope this gives to us. Always remembering our fight is with a defeated foe. Take that hope into this week. Let's pray together. Father, we don't want this to be the forgotten aspect of sanctification. We want to, as we'll think about next week, we want to actively pursue love and compassion and humility. But as we do that, there's this whole other side to our Christian growth, seeking to identify and be intentional about fighting and putting that old man, old woman to death within us. And I pray this morning that this message will have been helpful if we feel that we've got sloppy and lazy in our pursuit of maturity. May your word awaken in us again a passion to pursue holiness. 
We know that we can't do this by ourselves. We seek to pursue holiness and to put sin to death by the Holy Spirit who's here to help us. And then I pray, Father, that you would help us to starve the old self, to feed the new self, and that you would help us to get specific this week. Guide us as we continue this pursuit of holiness, knowing that our righteousness is already ultimately secured in Christ. That doesn't give us license to be sloppy, but instead that spurs us on that we can become more like him in true righteousness and holiness as we already are in him. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, to walk in this walk, we need the mind of Christ uh, to be dwelling within us by the Holy Spirit. We're going to stand together and sing that lovely hymn, May the mind of Christ my Savior dwell in me from day to day. Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.